Well, this is the fifth week in our parable series. <clears throat> Last week, we met the rebellious younger brother in Luke chapter 15, and today we're going to meet the older brother. And a special welcome to all of our uh, people checking us out online or listening on Facebook. So last week, the rebellious son marched into his father and demanded his inheritance, a massively insulting request. The father, out of his unimaginable love and grace, uh, grants his request, gives him his share of the inheritance, and the guy goes off to a foreign country and promptly wastes it and spends it away, and then finally comes to his senses and comes crawling home and begging to be hired on as a lowly servant. But the grace of the Father extends in such surprising and unprecedented ways. And instead of being welcomed back as a, as a slave and a lowly hired servant, that rebellious son is welcomed home as a son. And he's restored to his place of honor in the family. And this week we are introduced to his older brother. So I want to read for you what happens when the older brother comes in from his day of working in the fields. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe. And sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf. For him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Very interesting attitude. Anger at the grace shown to somebody else. Reminds me of the movie Walk the Line, the life story of Johnny Cash. Uh, When Johnny Cash's second wife, Roseanne Cash, uh, walks into a hardware store. If you saw the movie, uh, you will remember this scene. She runs into an extremely self-righteous and judgmental Christian lady. Let's check it out.
parable, there is no older sister. But if there was, she's in for sure. (laughs) As we have seen throughout the sermon series on the parables, understanding uh, first century Jewish culture is really helpful in understanding what was going on when Jesus first told these parables. When a wealthy family in the first century in that culture put on a feast, the oldest son was expected to be there. He was expected to be part of it because he had a job. He was supposed to act as the host. When all the guests came in, the older son would say, welcome. And he would go over and whoever the honored guest was, he would embrace him. He would give some compliments. He would generally be the host of the evening. Now, if the older son disagreed with his father in terms of putting on the party or who the honored guest was, He could talk to the father privately after the whole party was over, but he would never, ever in that culture say anything while the party or before it. If he did those things, and if he refused to enter the feast, if he refused to walk in and assume his role as the host, he would be heaping massive shame upon his father. And once we understand that, we can understand a little bit of the dynamics going on here. When that older brother refuses to go into the feast, there are some very important dynamics going on. Pastor and author Daryl Johnson is helpful. He says, the older son is angry because his younger brother has shamed the father and has been accepted back without even being made to try to measure up. The actions of his father have brought more shame upon the father himself and the family, the older son, refuses to go into the party. The Middle Eastern culture, the children expect to be present when the family puts on a dinner for an honored guest. The older son is expected to be the host. By refusing to come in, the older son is shaming the father. The very thing he is so upset at in the first place. How ironic. Biblical scholar Simon Kistemacher is also very insightful when he helps us understand He says, the older brother refuses to call him brother. He refers to him as this son of yours. This son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. With these words, he grieved his father just as much as the prodigal son had done by his wild living. The elder brother separated himself just as far from the father as the younger one had done. The one who had come home, the father pleaded with the other to do likewise. Well, as I pointed out over the past uh, two Sundays as we've been looking at these parables in Luke chapter 15, that the entire chapter was told to the Pharisees and the teachers of the Jewish religious law. Jesus is in fact addressing an entire group of older brothers. They're the ones who compared to the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus was welcoming and eating with, these guys were doing the correct, responsible thing. They were abiding by God's laws. They were faithful to the laws that Moses had given. In fact, the rabbis had added a whole bunch more rules. And their idea was, if we can put a man-made fence around the law, then if we don't break those, then we for sure won't break God's laws. These guys, although well-intentioned, had become so mired in the idea that if we don't break the rules, then we make God happy. They become so mired in that, that at this point they find themselves totally opposed 
to God's actual heart of mercy and grace. It's pretty tragic. And in fact, they have the ultimate expression of the heart of God standing in front of them. Jesus in the flesh. Luke 15, 29 says, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Dutch scholar Dr. Geldenhuis, in his commentary on the book of Luke, explains the significance of the older brother's words. And they really capture how the Pharisees were in fact feeling. He says, in this way, the Savior effectively depicts the whole attitude of the Pharisees. For they are also inwardly estranged. They're far from God and have allowed their religion to degenerate into slavish bondage and self-righteousness. All these years I've been slaving for you. That's exactly how the Pharisees had come to understand human beings' relationship with God. As long as we're working hard for God, and as long as we're keeping His laws, then God loves us and approves of us. And Jesus comes along and He says, Folks, you started out well-intentioned, but at this point you are completely missing it. God the Father isn't looking for slaves. He isn't looking for lifeless zombies who simply keep the rules out of a sense of duty or of trying to earn His favor. Jesus says to them, what I'm trying to tell you is your heart attitude is wrong. Dr. Gelden has goes on to say, by this the Savior teaches explicitly that God has always been longing to give the religious people in Israel the first opportunity of entering His kingdom and of receiving and enjoying the fullness of God. So it is only their inward estrangement of heart from His grace that renders them spiritually poor and unhappy. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus illustrate a number of different ways of being lost. A couple of weeks ago, we saw in the parable of the lost sheep that sheep get lost by wandering off. And they, they actually like to be part of the flock, but sometimes they're, they're eating and they see this amazing clump of grass and they go over and chew a little there. And then they lift up their head and go, whoa, look at that clump of grass. And they go over there. And pretty soon they've wandered away. And it's a beautiful picture of how a lot of people wander away from God. It's one craving at a time, one thing at a time. One thing that doesn't maybe seem so bad, but, but it leads to the next. And pretty soon they find themselves far away from God. Then we looked at the lost coin. And we realized that coins have no life. They can't find themselves when they're lost. And we saw really clearly in that parable that apart from the actions of the woman in the story, the coins couldn't find themselves. They have no hope of being found. That's a pretty accurate picture of the place that some people reach in life. They're so deadened in their spirits because of their participation in, in some evil action or in addictions that they're lifeless, they're incapable of finding themselves. And then last week, we obviously saw the younger son, the rebel, the guy who thinks, you know what? I can do life without God, without the Father. I don't need Him. And we saw how that turned out for him. And that's true of many people. 
to hide the pain in life, they are running away from God. And then today, the fourth kind of lostness. That's a good word, I just made it up. (laughs) The fourth kind of lostness, lost by religion. The attempt to secure a favor of God by keeping the rules. And Daryl Johnson, whom I took the course on the parables for back in June, he made this amazing statement. He says, of all the forms of being lost, being religiously lost is the most awful. It's the most lost. And we tend to mask it, don't we? Because we know the religious words. We can mask it by God talk. We kind of remake God in our own image. We project God over the way we imagine him. But when the true living God shows up, just like Jesus did to that group of Pharisees in the first century, the real God is too much to handle. You know, it's been said that the older brother stayed home, but he never really knew his father. Maybe if you're here this morning, you're listening online, you take an honest look at your life, and you say, you know what, in my heart of hearts, I'm pretty comfortable with where the Pharisees and teachers of the law were at. I look down on other people whose behavior doesn't match up to what I think a follower of Jesus should be. I'm resentful, maybe that I followed Jesus for many years. And then I find that some guy who's dealing drugs or smoking dope, who's never had a real job, can experience the mercy and grace of God And we can ultimately be on the same equal standing before God. That makes me resentful in my heart. And if that captures your feelings this morning, then I need to tell you a hard truth. You're lost. You're lost this morning. You're just as lost as the rebel mired in his crazy sin. But there is hope. There is Jesus who comes and demonstrates his love in the greatest possible way. And Jesus says, give up on your self-righteous condemnation of other people. Jesus invites us to stop standing outside in the cold. And he says, come on in. Come into the feast. Come come into the party. We're going to specifically zero in on the ways the love of God is shown to this group of older brothers. We're going to pick it up again in verse 28. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As has been throughout this series, scholar Kenneth Bailey helps us see. He says, there's no judgment. There's no criticism. There's no rejection. But only an outpouring of love. In striking contrast to the older son, he begins with the title, an affectionate one. Rather than using the Greek word that was typically used for son, huios, the father calls him his technon. I was an intimate term. It meant child, my my favorite child. So even though the father is facing the rage of this older son, he calls him 
by a really intimate term. You know, as Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the law of the three and a half years of his public ministry, he had constant run-ins with these guys. Constant uh, verbal dialogues and battles. And they were constantly condemning Jesus. And Jesus had been doing a whole bunch of things. He had told them parables. He had demonstrated his love and grace. He'd been kind to them. He'd done all these things over and over and over. And finally, just before the weeks that Jesus died, Jesus has a final confrontation with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And it's recorded in Matthew 23. And Jesus realized that, you know what? All the other ways I've been reaching out to these older brothers hasn't been working. I got to get right in their face. And so in some pretty stark language, this is what Jesus says. Matthew 23, 13. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Pretty harsh words. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. You know, sometimes Jesus presented as a really wimpy, super nice guy. Sometimes Jesus is pretty tough. He's pretty amazing. Luke or Matthew 23, verse 23 and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. No question, Jesus is in their face. But I think we misunderstand Jesus if we don't examine what kind of heart was behind those really harsh statements. Bruce Marciano is the actor chosen to play Jesus in the Matthew video series. One of my favorite depictions of the life of Jesus on film. And it was such a transformative experience playing the part of Jesus that he actually wrote a book about it. It's called In the Footsteps of Jesus. Great book. And he remembers the day when he had to film those scenes in Matthew 23. Those incredible statements of woe and doom. And getting right in the face of the religious teachers and the Pharisees. And he said all the way along, God had kept repeatedly giving him these amazing insights throughout the book of Matthew as he was portraying it, that the heart of Jesus was one of incredible love and mercy and grace. And that was shining through in all the scenes of the movie coming up to this. And he said, Lord, I don't know how to play this. I, I don't know how I can reconcile your heart of grace and love and mercy with these incredible uh, scenes of condemnation in Matthew 23. And he was just caught up in it. He was, he was struggling over it. And he writes an amazing chapter about it. And he talks about sitting on set uh, a lot of the filming was done in Morocco, and they had this beautiful set, uh, all limestone and marble, and he said it was the, the ultimate place to kind of depict the Jewish temple in the first century. 
And as he's getting ready to play it, he, he had a little bit of time before the, the director and the producers and everybody got the set perfect. And they're moving props around and they're making sure the mics are right and the cameramen are in place. And he's just off to the side where no one can see him and he's pouring his heart out. He's saying, Jesus, I want to be faithful to the text. If this is what you said, I want to say it. But at the same time, I want to portray your heart. How do, I, how do I accurately do that with these words? And finally, the Diana, the assistant director, came over and said, all right, Bruce, we're ready for the first take. So he kind of takes a final swallow of water and he ascends the granite steps and he begins into his first line. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And all the, the actors that were portraying the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they turn their backs on Jesus and they begin to walk away. And Jesus walks quickly over those granite steps and, and he's reaching out to them. And he starts into it and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he says, as soon as he, he started into those lines, he said, the only way I can describe it is like being hit by a giant wave. And it was like the Holy Spirit of God just clobbered him with this wave of emotion. And he said it was the most amazing experience. He said, he said I can see it now all on film. And I, I said every line that I was supposed to. But he goes, I have no memory of filming those scenes. He goes, God just absolutely, completely took over. And he said, when we finished, he said, it was like I came back to myself. And he said, he finishes and the director yells, cut. And there was silence all across the set. And every single person from the cameraman to the key grips to the electricians, they're just standing there. And he said, so many people had a tear in the corner of their eye. And what they captured on film that day was the true heart of Jesus for these religious teachers. And this is what Bruce says when he captures the emotions in his book. He said, the Lord wasn't spitting fire at these guys. He was loving them. His rage was not a self-righteous, now you've had it. It was the rage one experiences when watching someone he or she loves walk out the door. It was a rage born of a broken heart. It was his last ditch effort to gain them, desperately holding a mirror to their faces, passionately heart crying for them, having done everything he could to make them understand, I'm the one, I'm the one, I love you. Don't do what you're doing. Come to me. And then he says this beautiful line. He says, how Jesus treasured them. He wept over their own self-destruction. That's incredibly beautiful. What an invitation this father was offering to the older son. He's saying, quit being outside. Quit standing there with your arms crossed, refusing to come in. He says, come into the joy, the grace, the mercy of the feast. Celebrate, because the rebels and the sinners have come home. So where does the story end? What do the Pharisees decide? 
Luke 31-32, My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The parable ends. We don't know what happens. And just to remind us how it all started, Luke 15, 1 and 2, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Kenneth Bailey says, The conclusion is missing. There's no corresponding stanza to the first one. As we observe, Jones feels this is one of the signs that this parable is truly great art. Chapter begins with the question of eating. It ends with an open invitation for the complainers to join the banquet. Did the father succeed in convincing him? Did the son remain outside to the end? The Pharisees had to give their answer to this question. Well, the Pharisees, in the end, ultimately did give an answer. They looked at the party that God in Christ had thrown for all of us, all of the sinners and tax collectors, all of the non-Jews who were being invited into the kingdom of God. They looked at it and they were disgusted. As the early church begins to explode in the book of Acts, we reread that the Pharisees and teachers of the law eventually began to persecute the church. They couldn't handle God's love that it would be even extended to law-breaking pagans. It all comes into focus when the love of God the Father found its ultimate expression in His Son, Jesus Christ, willing to give His life in payment for the debt of sin, death on a cruel Roman cross. Matthew 27 records the moment when the Pharisees and religious leaders, in the ultimate personification of the older brother in the parable, were not content to simply insult God by refusing to come in and celebrate. They channeled all of their scorn and disgust and hatred at the Son of God. Matthew 27, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we will believe in him. Jesus, with his arms wide open, was willing to allow them to commit the final act of betrayal to the very God they thought they were pleasing. I think Daryl Johnson is correct when he says, of all the forms of lostness, religious lostness is the most lost. The true living God comes to us in person and he's too much to handle. This parable is open-ended on purpose. Jesus told it that way for this simple reason, is that every single one of us for the last 2,000 years that reads this parable, you know who's supposed to finish it? We are. We are meant to finish this parable. And I think if I'm a totally honest and I look in my own heart this morning, I think there's still a little bit of older brother in me, despite my best attempts to banish him. It could be this morning in the quietness of your own heart that the Holy Spirit reveals, you know what, there's a tiny little bit of older brother in your heart as well. 
So how are we going to finish the parable? Will we repent of our self-righteousness, the good deeds in life that we think justify us to God? Or will we instead depend entirely on the perfect goodness of Christ? The promised gift to everyone who believes in Him with all their heart and soul and mind and follows Him in their decisions and actions. Will we cling to our condemnation of others or will we repent of our hard-heartedness, head into the party and take up our role as the hosts? The parables left open so that you and I can choose every single day to be the kind of Christ followers that are loving and attractive to people who don't yet know Him. Or we have the free choice to be cranky, nasty, judgmental, and miss out on the celebration. The choice is up to us. Dwight, will you come and pray for us?